And everybody else can uh, grab your Bibles and uh, open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to remain standing in honor of the reading of God's Word. Uh, Matthew chapter 10. And if you're using one of the, uh, the, the blue Bibles, blue and white Bibles, that's on page 528. If you're using a Bible exactly like mine, it's on page 982, but I doubt anyone is. <laughs> Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to be reading, we're focusing this week mainly on verses 8 through 15, but I want to start with verse 5 and read through 15 to kind of get the, the grasp of the full thought here. Uh, the Word of God reads, these twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, Give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to, my, to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we ask that You would bless it, that Your Spirit would come now and, and just help us to understand it. Pray that Your Spirit would work in us. Give us eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus and, the, and Your glory. Give us ears to hear this message and give us hearts to receive it with gladness. And, and, and again, Holy Spirit, just work in us to, to understand it and to put it to use. Father, we... Thank you for the many other uh, churches that are gathering this morning and worshiping just as we are. Lord, I, I lift up you to you specifically, uh, Bridge 42 Church in Morganton. Lord, as they, they spend this last Sunday with uh, their pastor and as he uh, moves up north to, uh, to take on another church and now they enter into a time where they will be seeking for another shepherd to come in and lead them. I pray that you would just bless their service today and and comfort them in that time as they look for a, another pastor. God, I pray for Matt Morgan and Hickory at Escalade Church as their church works through the book of John. I pray that those people will get a, a, a clear picture this morning of who Jesus is as God and Redeemer and Lord. I pray for my friend Jonathan in Newton as he walks his church through the book of Acts and as they see the, the power of the Holy Spirit as he works through the church and the apostles and the beginnings of what we know as the New Testament church. Bless my friend Josh at Gospel Life Church as his church walks through 
the Sermon on the Mount that we've spent time in here as they, they hear the, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached on planet earth from the mouth of Jesus and as they learn from Him. And Lord, many other innumerable local churches who are gathering this morning, opening the Scriptures and learning from Your Word, God, bless this day as, as the Word of God goes out and, and permeates hearts. Lord, gather Your people and expand Your kingdom. And God, I pray this morning specifically for the Java Osing people of Indonesia who are uh, majority Muslim people. Very few professing Christians. Lord, I pray that the ones who do profess Christ will begin to realize the difference between uh, their, their new faith and what they've been raised in all their lives and that they will begin to make distinctions and stand out as, as believers and will then share the gospel to their friends and family members. And I pray that you would perhaps even raise up a missionary who would be sent to that people and, and work with them and make disciples there and, and evangelize those people so that more people will come to worship you. Lord, we come to you as a family of people who are uh, unified by the gospel. And we all come from different places this week and different jobs and different areas. And we, we come together and... and, and we all bring things in the door this morning that uh, we need you to help us uh, put aside as we come and focus on you during this time. Lord, I pray specifically for a little baby named Audrey who was recently born and who is sick and, and, and just help the doctors as they try to, to figure out what's wrong with her and, and, and bring her back to health. God, we thank you for the blessing of children. Help us to see children as a blessing, Father. Lord, as we go to Your Word, make us into missionaries today. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So we, we come to Matthew chapter 10. Again, and as you guys know, I've explained, we're walking through what we call the, the missionary discourse, or the disciples' discourse, where Jesus is sending out His twelve disciples for the first time. And, and this discourse, this speech or monologue that Jesus gives goes through all of chapter 10. And so we're walking through this. And, and as we've seen, there are some things in this discourse that are very specific to these men in this time period as they go out right now. And in, 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 in when Jesus was, was speaking this originally, but we can take the principles that Jesus was giving them and we can just pull them over into our culture and apply them to, to where we are. Because we too are disciples of Jesus. And we too have been sent on a mission with the gospel. And so there are principles that will always apply when, when God's people are sent out. So, so we're in this discourse. And just to kind of recap where we've been. Last week we started in verses 5 and 6. And there Jesus explains where He wants His disciples to go. On this particular mission. He tells them where to go. And he starts off with a negative. He says, do not go to the Gentiles. That's anybody who's not a Jew. And do not go to the Samaritans. And those, the Samaritans this time were, were kind of a half uh, race of people who were partially Jewish in religion and, and, and the rest um, partially uh, polytheistic. And so he says, don't go to them. 
Your job is to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is Jewish people. So at this point in time, Jesus sent His disciples strictly to Jewish people. And we saw how God's plan of redemption throughout all of Scripture is, is that the Jews would hear first. And then we find out later in the New Testament, Paul says um, that God laid us a stumbling stone, which is Christ. The Jews will reject for the most part, will reject this message and will reject these men. And so the gospel will then go to the Gentiles. And that's us. That's why we are here. We are believers in Jesus. And so at this point in time, Jesus sends them specifically to Jewish people. And Paul kind of recaps this idea when he says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When he would go into a town and, and plant a church there, he would go first to a synagogue where Jewish people were, and he would reason with them from the Scriptures, and then he would go to Gentiles. And so Jesus tells them where to go. And we see in our day, of course, we are Gentiles, and we are sent to the ends of the earth, to all peoples. And we are the fruit of the command to go to all peoples. And then in verse 7, he tells them what to say. You're going to go with a message and he tells them to proclaim, where it also means preach, to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was their message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we talked about last week how that message kind of encapsulates the gospel that we preach. Because when they were to go and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what they were saying was, Jesus is king. And He rules. And He reigns. And you must now submit to Him because He's King. And that's what you do. And so prepare to submit to King Jesus. Now when we go and we share the Gospel, we tell people similarly the same message. We say, God commands all people everywhere to repent. We're all sinners. And we have to repent. We have to turn away from sin and worship God. Submit to Christ. We have to put aside the kingdom of ourselves and the worship of ourselves and thoughts of ourselves and, and everything else under the sun, we have to turn away from that and worship Christ. And that is the message that we preach. And, and those two messages are the same. We preach the gospel, they preach the kingdom is at hand, and we preach that the messages are, are the same. We talked about that last week. Now, before we move into verse 8, I want to just talk about that idea again. I want to start there. I want to start with the gospel. Because that's our message. We have been sent with the gospel. And the gospel has been defined as a lot of things. The gospel, first and foremost, is news. It is the good news of how God, in His infinite and matchless mercy, sent His Son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sin. And in our place. And if we will repent of our sin and trust in Jesus by faith, we'll be saved and we will be forgiven. And God has done that in His mercy. And that's where we start. That's our message. And that message is key. That is our priority as Christians is the gospel message. Any organization on earth can provide any humanitarian effort but only the church, Christians, have been commissioned to spread the gospel. 
the Peace Corps. People sign up, they can go around the world and they can do great things. Boys and Girls Clubs of America, people can join up and they can do great things. Oprah Winfrey gives millions, if not billions of dollars to charities all the time. Those are good things. They, they help people. The church can do those things and should help people. But our number one priority that the Peace Corps can't do and that Boys and Girls Clubs can't do and that Oprah won't do is share the gospel. That's our priority. Now we do those other things as well along with the gospel, but our priority is to spread the gospel. Now we, we come in like Wednesday, we talk to Anna, and she's a part of what we call a parachurch organization, crew. They work alongside the church to facilitate and send out people. But the church, the body of Christians on the earth, is the only group that's been commissioned to spread the gospel. And that's our priority is to spread the gospel. When we think about Christian ministry... And we think about things that we can do here in Taylorsville. We think about projects and ministries and things that we can do. Our priority must always be to get the gospel out. We can do great things along with that. But our priority is to get the gospel out. We can dig wells. We can give out water. We can do all those things. But without the gospel, we're sending people to hell with a bottle of water. Or with clean water. Or with clothes. Or with a bag of food. Without the gospel, those things are pointless. And so the gospel is our priority. Now that's good news. It sounds scary. It sounds uh, intimidating. But it's good news. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to read this verse. Again, Romans 1.16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It, the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ is the power of God for salvation. The gospel of the good news of events that have already taken place outside of us, separate from us, that story is the power of God for salvation. Now that is good news. Why? Because it's not us. It's not our power. It's not our ability. It's not our knowledge. It's just the gospel. It has all the power. We have no power. If we will just spread the gospel, God has promised He will gather His people. We just have to share the gospel. But many of us still are terrified of the idea of sharing our faith. We, we worry. We stress. We break out in cold sweats just thinking about the idea of, of sharing our faith with someone who's not a Christian. Or doesn't even profess to be a Christian. Now, if someone says they're a Christian, it's usually easy because they know the concepts we're talking about. They know the ideas of, of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. But for someone who doesn't know Christ at all, it can be terrifying. Why is that? Well, for number one, the number one reason is pride. We say, well, I'm just shy. Well, shyness is pride. Why are you shy? Because well, you're scared of what people are going to think about you and say about you and, 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 and malign you or, or ridicule you for something you've done. That's, that's pride. The number one reason we don't share our faith is just simply pride. But then there's also a lack of love. We don't love people enough to make new friends. Some of us refuse to make new friends, to reach outside of our club and make a new friend. Those are ultimate issues. It's pride. It's lack of love. We don't care about people. And we, we care more about ourselves. But you also have these, these other issues. 
unbelief. We, we really don't believe that the gospel is the power of God. We think it's us. I've got to get it right. And, and there is, a, and there is a, a sense in which the gospel must be proclaimed properly. But when, once you know the gospel, it is the power of God. It's not us. So we, we have a, a failure to believe in the power of the gospel. We have a failure to really, truly, honestly believe in the reality of hell. And therefore, when we talk about people who will die and go to hell apart from Christ, it doesn't register here. We don't really realize what we're saying. And, and so the gospel becomes something that we can, you know, you share it if you want to, but really what's the worst that can happen? So today we're going to look at Jesus as He instructs His disciples and gives them commands that will work to shape them and help them understand that they need to rely on God alone, not themselves. We talked last week about how we build up the disciples and how they're great men and, and, and Matthew and Peter and James and John and, and there was a time when they were being sent out for the first time. They were probably nervous. They were probably scared. And so Jesus sets out to help them to understand it's not about you. Trust in God. Rely in the power of God working through the gospel. And, and as we read through this and we pull these principles out and apply them to our lives, my hope is that some of us will be set free from the fears that we have to share our faith. So verse 8, Jesus continues His commands. He says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Now I want to stop there. Jesus commands His disciples to do all of the things that He had already been doing. He had already been preaching. He had already been performing miracles. In verse 1, it says He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So He's given them the power. Now He says, go do it. Same for us. The power is the Gospel. We have the Gospel. Go do it. Now notice that these commands to go out and do these things come after the command to give the message. Again, their priority was to preach or proclaim the gospel. Then perform miracles. And the miracles, as they performed these things, as they healed sick people, as they raised the dead, as they cast out demons, cleansed lepers, they would do two things. First of all, these miracles would validate their message. Just like with the ministry of Jesus. They would say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people would say, who are you to tell me what to do? And they would say, be gone demon. That's who I am. I have the power of God. And the hope would be that people would say, I will do what you say. So they would validate their message. Secondly, it would work as signs of the coming of the kingdom. Again, just like with Jesus, when He would heal people and He would cast out demons and He would forgive sins, these were all little pictures of what it will be like ultimately when everything is said and done, all these things will be done away with. The product of fruit of sin will be no more. And Jesus was showing that He can do that even in the first coming. And so the, the idea would be they would go and say, Repent, the kingdom of, of, of heaven is at hand. See, and they would do a miracle. See, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, when the kingdom of heaven is at hand, these the sicknesses and demons, the, the demons and diseases can't stay around. So there was little, there were little hints, just like what Jesus had been doing. Nothing has changed. Now, remember, they're going out to Jewish people. 
Jewish people would have been well aware with stories about Moses and, and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha and, and miraculous things that took place when God worked through His prophets. And so the goal would be for people to recognize through the miracles that these men were from God and their message is from God. Remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus at night and he says, we know that you come from God because nobody could do the things that you're doing unless God was with him. That's the point. Now, for us, we don't perform miracles. We don't have this power. We are not apostles equipped with miraculous power. But there are some things that we as New Testament Christians do that are foreshadowings of Kingdom life. When we do them, we can say, see, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We put these things on display. For example, our love. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you what? Love one another. We can come together, a group of people that for the world, we would never hang out together. There's, just so, there's a diversity here that outside of these walls is really strange. We come in here and we love each other because we have the gospel. We have the unity of the spirit that joins us. So our love is something that the world will look at and say, those people are different. And we can say, this is what kingdom life is like. People from, from all different places come together unified. Our lives is another one. Basically, live what we preach. If we will do what we say we uh, believe or, or act out what we say we believe, if we will be salt and light, as Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, stand out from the world, people will see that we really mean business. And that's a big problem in our world is that there's a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. But when you look at their lives, Monday through Saturday or Monday through Tuesday and then up to Wednesday evening and then Thursday through Saturday, when they're not with their church family... You're like, you don't look any different than anybody else in the world. I mean, sure, you go to a worship service, but what's the difference? So our lives, if we will live out what we say we believe, the people will, the world will see a difference. Now, what are some things that Christians do? We read, study, meditate, live out Scripture on a regular basis. Spend time in prayer. Uh, church membership, evangelism, upright living. Family worship inside the home. These are all things that Christians should be doing. Now, the problem is that many in our area today do all of those things. But why? Just because that's how they were raised. Tradition. Works righteousness. They think if they do enough good stuff to outweigh their bad stuff, they'll go to heaven. The Bible says you, you can never be good enough to earn your way into heaven. What this area needs to see is a group of people whose entire lives, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, are motivated by and lived out in a genuine passion and desire to live this life that's motivated by gospel transformation rather than just moral adjustments. Because everybody can just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and live better. Anybody can do that. But gospel transformation means that in, within our hearts, we actually have a genuine desire and passion to please Christ for what He's done for us. Thirdly, our marriages. 
we know that um, the marriage, the union of a man and a woman, forever, is a picture of the gospel love between Christ and His church. And so when our marriages in public look decent and they're lived properly, husbands honor their wives by sacrificing their lives for them. When, when wives honor their husbands and submit and respect them, the world says, man, you know, that's different. That is, there's something about that. And you can say, this is kingdom life. This is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's living and, and coming out of us. Um, another one, rejoicing in suffering. We follow Christ. We take up our cross. We follow Him. And, and that doesn't mean life gets easy. As a matter of fact, a lot of times life gets harder and harder. And we will go through things and we will suffer and suffer and suffer some more. And the Bible says rejoice. And when we rejoice and we have joy and suffering doesn't pound us in the ground, the world will say, you know, that's really different. That you are still joyful. You're still persevering in your faith. You still love this God even after all this has happened. You can say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is ruling over my heart through His Word. And this is kingdom life. So when, when the church begins to live out these things, and, and there are more, live out these things publicly, the validity of our message Grows And people say, you know, they actually do believe what they're saying. They actually live out what they preach. And they do it out of joy. And we could say, no, I do, it, I, I do it out of joy. I do it out of gospel transformation because the power of God has changed my heart to where I actually desire to do this. I'm not just living this way to escape hell. Which is why a lot of people live this way. So, the idea of this, this gospel motivation becomes more clear in, in, at the end of verse 8. He says, you received without paying, give without pay. Now that doesn't get much clearer than what he's saying, but let's just kind of unpack this idea. What is it when you get something for free that you didn't earn or deserve? Grace. Christ has graciously given from His own endless supply the power and the authority to do these things and to go out he sent them out. They didn't pay for it. They didn't earn it. They didn't ask for it. He just gave it. They received freely, graciously. Now they are to go out and perform these miracles and do these things for people freely from grace. This was not a job for them. This was not a way for them to go out and make money. Jesus gave to them this power freely and they were to then give it to others. Now, bring this... Or, or, or the original context. In this time period, people could make a lot of money by doing these things, by, with supernatural abilities or, or the promotion of gods. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul goes into Ephesus and the church of Ephesus is planted, you read about a riot that broke out because he preached the gospel. So many people were coming to faith that the people whose business was to make false gods they, were, they didn't have any business. Demetrius gathers his guys together. He's like, look, we're not going to have any business if people keep worshiping God. And a riot breaks out. In Acts chapter 16, there's a, a demon-possessed slave girl who her owners would just drag her around and she would um, give psychic readings, predict people's futures and things, tell people's fortunes, and they would make money. 
And she was aggravating Paul. And he finally turned around and told the demon to get out of her. And then the owner got mad because he can't make any money anymore. In this time period, there was money to be made in religion and, and false idol worship and supernatural abilities. And Jesus told his disciples, you are to take no part in that. You have received freely from grace. You should give from grace. Now, our mission, again, is different, but the principle is the same. We don't go out with miracles and things. We go out with the gospel. And we live lives that are transformed by the gospel. Now, just think of a couple questions. What did you do to earn the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your heart? How much did you pay to have the gospel preached to you? How much is it costing you to maintain your salvation? Did you put a, a quarter in the salvation machine last night before you went to bed to, to keep you saved through the night? No. This is grace. Free grace. The answer to those questions is nothing. We have done nothing to earn or deserve our salvation. And yet, we're saved. We're sustained through the power of the Holy Spirit. We, if we're honest, we deserve death. Because we're all sinners. We, we started here with the Gospel. We're all sinners. We deserve death because of our sin. But God, in His love and grace, called us out of darkness, has redeemed us and saved us according to His grace. Now, a lot of us, although we all should confess that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, has nothing to do with us. It is not of us. We confess that, but then we live our lives as though we worked hard for it. And I'm doing something for this. And so those people should too. They should get their act together. Clean, clean yourself up. And then when I deem that you are receptive or you're ready to hear the gospel, then I'll come to you. We act as though we've paid for it and they should too. We live by the principle, God helps those who help themselves. And that's nonsense. The Bible is the story of a God who helps those who not only cannot help themselves, but naturally have no desire to truly help ourselves. That's our God. We have been given graciously and freely from His mercy. Imagine what it would be like if God acted to us the way we act to other people. Like, like you're not ready for this, or you need to meet a certain standard before I will share my faith with you. This week, I preached at the New Outlook Wednesday, and I used this scripture, and this has been stuck with me for a while. I've probably quoted it several times recently, but just listen to this. You know this. It's not new. Just listen. Consider... Your calling, brothers, sisters, Axis Church. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, because we didn't have it, He became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Consider your calling. Where would you be had God not scooped you up and saved you and redeemed you by free grace? We have received freely. Therefore, we should go and give freely. We should give of the Gospel freely and proclaim to anybody who will hear that God is a holy God and all people are sinful. But God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross and if you will repent, you will be saved. We, we give that message freely because we have been given freely. We give of our lives, our time, our talents, our treasures to the, the mission of sharing the Gospel and for the sake of the Gospel. So, not only were these men not to accept anything in return for their labor because they had been given freely, but look at verse 9 through the beginning of verse 10. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. Now let's stop right there. What Jesus is saying here is, is don't accept any payment and... Don't even go home and take extra stuff. Don't even make, don't go get provisions for this. Verse 9. Acquire no gold, silver, copper for your belts. That's how they kept their money in a little, little pouch in their belts. He says, don't even go home and get your money. Don't go get your stash. Just go. Verse 10. No bag. No tunics. No extra sandals. Don't even go home and pack a bag. A tunic, remember that's the under cloak. The outer cloak and the under tunic would be like we would wear like an undershirt or a t-shirt. It says don't even go home and get an extra shirt. Don't get extra sandals. Don't go home and get your walking staff. Just go. All of these things that he's listed here would have been considered just bare essentials for a trip. For us, it's toothbrush, toothpaste, change of underwear and socks, t-shirt, shorts. For me, Q-tips. i got to have them. Bare essentials. Jesus says, don't even go home and pack. Just go. This is not going to be a long trip, but you will be staying overnight. They're going to have needs. Jesus says, don't go pack. Just go. Now, we aren't all necessarily sent away from home to a foreign town or a foreign village or a foreign country. We, we live around here and we minister around here. And, and, and some of you may be called to go overseas. And if that happens, I would recommend packing a bag and making preparations. The point here for these men is that you need to trust the Lord of the harvest. I'm sending you out. I've given you the power. Now just go. Don't ask any questions. Just go. That goes back to some of our main problems that we have with evangelism. We, we battle unbelief. We don't trust the power of the gospel. We act as though we're left to our own abilities to transform somebody's heart and therefore we're terrified. And the idea here is just go. Just, just do it. We have to learn to rely on the power of God in the gospel and simply be obedient. The power is in the gospel, not us. We can't change one single heart. The power is in the gospel. In the end of verse 10, he says, For the laborer deserves his food. Or in other words, your work will be sufficient to take care of your 
basic needs, your essentials. Now, this passage is used by Paul in 1 Timothy 5 as an exhortation to pay your preaching and teaching elders. What he's saying is the labor will take care of your needs. Now, I like this quote. This is a quote from Don Carson on this idea because as a pastor and one who makes his living for the ministry, I despise talking about money. And so Don Carson says this, and I like this. He says, the church doesn't pay its ministers. Rather, it provides them with resources so that they are able to freely serve. That's how these men are sent out. Your work will pay for your bare essentials so that you don't have to worry about anything. You can just minister. Same for New Testament pastors and elders. And the, and the, the principle for, for lay Christians, just normal, everyday, blue-collar, white-collar, working in the, in the workforce Christians is trust in the Lord, be obedient, and He will take care of your needs. We know this, this Scripture. Um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. He will tell you where to go. He will guide you and He will keep you if you will just trust in Him. And that's the point of all of this. We have to learn to trust God and stop sitting around fretting over what are people going to think? What am I going to say? What if I say it wrong? What if they don't like me? And just be obedient. Verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. The idea here, Jesus is saying, is when you go into a village or a town, find someone who is worthy, he says, and, and people go back and forth as to what it means to be worthy. Do they have to find a believer, or was it just a person who uh, was not of ill repute? You know, find a place where you can live where as you're going in and out, people aren't going to say, you know, that's really strange that that guy's going in and out of there. You know, don't stay in a brothel. Find a place to live that's, you know, decent, what's worthy. Go there. When you get there, stay there. Don't hop from house to house as if you're looking for, you know, faster internet or better cable reception or whatever. It might have been in this day. Looking for comfort. Just find a place where it's worthy for you to stay and stay there and work out of that place and be a minister in that town. These men, as they went with this message, as the apostles of Christ, would have been bringers of peace and blessing. And so, if, a, if they were to go into a house and those people accepted them, they would have been blessed for that. Because you're accepting the messengers of, of Jesus. Now, if someone didn't accept them, rejected them, of course, the blessing would return. No blessing for you. You're not going to get this because you've rejected this Message now and me now in verse 14. This is a very cultural thing that we don't do anymore, but this was a sign of ridding yourself of all traces of having been in a place. You know, they, they walked in the dirt, they wore sandals, and so if you went into a place that rejected you, or, or for these people, for Jews, if they were to go into a town of Gentiles before they came back into Jerusalem, they would shake the dust off of their feet. As a sign to say, I'm not bringing any of that filth and uncleanliness into the city of God. Now these men are sent to Jewish people. 
Jewish villages and Jewish towns. And so Jesus says, if you go to a place and, and they don't accept you, they reject you, you treat them like pagans. You treat them like Gentiles. You shake the dust off your feet. You get rid of all traces and you move on. And again, we see the, the idea here that we talked about last week that those who reject the gospel or the apostles, their message, were treated like pagans. Now that's a big deal in, in the grand scheme of redemptive history because all the way up until this point, God had been working primarily through the Jews and they were His chosen people. And Jesus says if those Jewish people reject you, treat them like Gentiles. Walk away. Be done with them. Ethnicity has no intrinsic value when it comes to, to uh, being a part of the family of God. So, what we see here for us, the principle, is from the beginning, we can go all the way back to, to Genesis, or we can start here from the beginning of the apostolic witness as Christ sends out His disciples, Jesus knew and He prepared His men with this truth that some will accept you. And some will reject you. Now that seems simple. seems common knowledge. It's always been the case. Some will accept. Some will reject. Breathe a sigh of relief. Some people will reject you. They'll have nothing to do with it. Breathe a sigh of relief. Some people will accept it. They will accept the gospel. They will be saved. Breathe a sigh of relief. It has nothing to do with you and your abilities and your power. It's all the gospel and the power of God working through the gospel. For those who reject it in our day, I would say with a little bit of persistence, you know, keep trying. If they, if they just say, I don't want to talk about that right now, or, or you know, I'm just, I don't know about all that stuff. Be persistent. Try again. After a time, if they, if they sternly reject you and, and want to have nothing to do with it, move on. And this goes back to what we learned in, in chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? Chapter 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The idea there is that with this, this godly wisdom, this gospel message, there will be people who Jesus refers to as pigs, who will just trample all over the message because they don't realize it's pearls. They don't realize the value. They don't understand it. They can't conceive of the value of the good news of the gospel. Others that Jesus refers to as dogs, they will pounce on it, rip it to shreds, and then turn to attack you for their own pleasure and enjoyment. So Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, and the same idea here is, is we have to be discerning and be wise when we're sharing the gospel. We have to be cautious not to abuse the gospel or reduce the gospel to something that it's not for those with whom we are communicating. We have to share the full gospel. It is objective. It's not subject to interpretation. It is, it is simple. It is concise. It is clear facts of history. We don't reduce it to less so that people will accept it. We, we simply give it and we be wise with it. Because we believe in a Sovereign God. And we do believe in sovereign, unconditional election. Which means nobody is too bad or too far gone to be saved. Nobody has ever done anything so bad that God can't save them. And nobody's too good. Nobody is so good that they don't need a Savior. 
Because we're all sinners. We're great sinners and Christ is a great Savior. And we all need that. Nobody's too good. Nobody's too bad. Some will accept and some will reject. And it's up to God, not up to us. We cannot transform a heart. And so rest in that. Man, we, we just lose it when we think about sharing the gospel. And if somebody were to reject us, we take it personally and we get upset. And I'm, you know, I'm never sharing my faith again. They, just, they don't like me and they're not being my friend. It's, it's God. It's the power of God, not us. The same with Samuel. They've not rejected you. They've rejected God. Verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on that day, or on the day of judgment, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now this verse is a terrifying allusion to a truth that far too few Christians understand. And that is this. There are levels of punishment in hell. And there are levels of blessing in heaven. And Scripture speaks to this many times. Remember who Jesus is speaking to here speaking to a group of Jewish men, and they would have known very well the book of Genesis. And they would have been very familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities where God sent two angels, wiped them off the face of the earth because of their pride, because of their gluttony, because of their neglect for the poor and for their heinous sexual sin, including homosexuality, but not limited to homosexuality. Wipe them off the planet. And Jesus says, on the day of judgment, it will be more bearable, it will be more tolerable for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for those people who reject you and reject the Gospel. To hear of the Gospel, to hear of the matchless grace of God, and hear the call to come and receive Eternal life and salvation and reject it and walk away from the grace of God is a more heinous sin, a more terrible crime than the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, those people who were vaporized off of the face of the earth. And what we see here is simply the urgency of eternity. Because the truth is that people who die without Christ will spend eternity in a place called hell. It is literal. It is conscious. It is physical. It is eternal torment. Jesus, when He describes it, He calls it a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping. People will be crying. Oh God, have mercy on me. Please, just, just one more bit of mercy. Give me one more chance. Be weeping for eternity. And then there will be others who will be gnashing their teeth. How dare you put me here, God? I never did anything against you. For eternity, weeping and gnashing their teeth. That's how Jesus describes it. That's His words, not mine. Now listen to this from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, 
You shall give them warning from Me if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. I've already got too much blood on my hands, and I don't want any more. And I don't think you do either. And God's Word says if we don't tell them, if we don't warn them, the blood's on our hands. They're gonna, they'll, they'll die for their sin. They'll be punished for their own sin. But their blood will be required at our hands. So we must be intentional when we share the Gospel. And the motivation comes in meditating on the grace we've received. And the compassion of the Lord that He's given to us and the patience He's shown to us. Realizing that we have received freely, therefore we must give freely. Meditating on the urgency of eternity that it really is true. As much as we hate to talk about it and hate to bring it up. And, and it's true. We can't get away from the words of Christ. And so we have to keep that in our minds and be intentional about sharing the Gospel and telling people that Yes, we're all sinners. Everybody. And the wrath of God stands to be poured on every sinner. But God gave His Son and He died for your sin. If you will repent and believe, you will be forgiven. The wrath of God is removed. You have no more to worry about it. You have only blessing and peace and eternity with God to receive and forgiveness of sins. We, we, we tell people that and we call people to that and... and I don't know that that necessarily means we go out and just walk on the sidewalk and start screaming. If that's your ministry, by all means, go do it. But that means we're going to have to make a relationship with somebody that we don't know yet. Talk to people. Just strike up conversations. It's not weird. The people of the world are dying for community. They love community. They'll join the Y. They'll join yoga. They'll join any club in the world just to have some people to hang out with. They love community, and that's a part of our apologetic for the church. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. People would, would love this community. And I've there's Robert Talley. Some of you guys remember that guy. Saved in the back of my Geo Metro. And one thing he said when he started hanging out with us as an atheist was, I've never met a group of people who just loved each other like you guys do. Because he came to church with us, he went out to eat at, with us afterwards a lot of times, he hung out with us, and there came a point when he realized he was a sinner and he needed a Savior. So be wise. Be smart about it. Be intentional. Build relationships. Start the conversation. I don't know what that looks like every time. It's going to be different every time. But just that should be in your brain when you're talking to people. How do I get there? What do you do? What are you going to do in five years? What are you going to do in ten years? What are you going to do after that? I'm going to retire. What are you going to do after that? Well, I guess I'll die. What are you going to do after that? Well, I hope I'm going to go to heaven. Well, are you sure about that? I know how you can be absolutely sure. So, be wise and be smart about that. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word.